Welcome to Training for Ultra, the podcast. Welcome to episode 60 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And this is a really interesting episode today. Um, Kyle Curtin winning the Tahoe 200. Just a fascinating um, way to look at ultra running um, at this type of distance, um, at this type of level. And it was sort of flying under the radar, so I wanted to make sure to capture what exactly happened towards the end of the Tahoe 200 because it was Courtney DeWalter had a huge lead and then they were duking it out and like I say in the interview I was concerned I mean this is like uncharted waters like no one's ever raced for 50 hours straight on almost no sleep or no sleep so fascinating interview with Kyle and he hasn't been interviewed very often so it was just great to uh, hear some of his background I also introduce a new segment. I'm calling it Middle of the Pack Crushers. And I have Jen Power on to share some of her experience in ultra running. Big thank you to the sponsors Hammer Nutrition, Sufferfest Beer, and Destination Trail. Candace Bird's our new um our new slot there. So I really appreciate the three of them supporting the podcast. Also big thank you to the Patreon supporters. And next week, I'll probably announce a new Training for Ultra challenge. It'll be on Strava, and then we'll also have a duplicate on Patreon. And it's probably going to be a time challenge for the whole week. So we'll have the winner on. And enjoy the episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. I'm joined here by Kyle Curtin, fresh off a big win at the Tahoe 200. He's sponsored by Ultra, lives in Durango. And there haven't been many podcast interviews of you, so I'm excited to share with the listener um, a somewhat unique interview here. Kyle, how you uh, how you doing? Uh, I feel like I'm finally getting close to caught up on sleep. That was definitely the biggest thing after Tahoe is just not letting my body relax, and and uh, it's been a little over two weeks since the race, and I I tried to run yesterday for the first time, and it went okay. But uh, I'm not running today, so it didn't go great. So um, are you, like, still in race mode? Is that, like, your mindset? You're just so – because you're, you're running for so long. You ran for almost 50 hours straight, basically. I mean, are you, is I, your I, brain just wired to race? I mean – After the race, it was like that for, uh, man, way too long. Um, so, like, right after the race, I kind of just, just fell apart. Like, I <laughs> – at the finish line, I could barely walk to, to a car. I, um, I felt like I was going to throw up right after the finish. I like lost my vision for a little while. as as just like a complete body collapse after the race. and Fell asleep for like 20 minutes. and Then at least I was able to like make a coherent sense and talk with Courtney for a little while and, and Candace and some of the other people at the finish line. Um, but I was just so messed up from the race. I, I basically had to go into a little cave and hide away for a while. Um, but then came back later that night to the finish line and, and hung out and uh, was feeling a little better. It's just been a slow improvement for a while. But, yeah, coming down off that high, I was just so amped for so long that, I mean, it, it took me close to – it was probably four or five days before I was able to get four hours of consecutive sleep in a row. Wow. And, uh, but 
now we're coming back to a more sustainable lifestyle and uh, sleeping at night, so that's nice. Well, typically I'd, I'd start off with, like, how'd you get into running, but let's start with Tahoe 200. Um, I was watching this and refreshing it probably like a lot of the listeners, you know, excited to see how Courtney, you know, does in her follow-up to Moab, um, you know, from the previous year. And you were flying under the radar nicely, I, I think. Um, I mean, obviously, you've had good success, but let's start with um, Tahoe. I mean, was this your A race of the year? Had you been putting in all the training to go into Tahoe? Yeah, it was definitely the A race. Um, it was it was an odd train-up for it. Um, I'd ran... Um, the Hemis 50 miler in May and kind of after that I took two weeks off of running and took a bike trip up to Seattle for a wedding so that was two weeks of, of no running but riding 100 miles a day and then uh, kind of for the next two months after I got done with the bike trip I really focused on uh, did a couple of Nolan's attempts this summer which is uh, a route through the collegiate peaks outside Buena Vista in Colorado and it kind of the route touches 14, 14,000 foot peaks. And so most of my summer was spent scouting that and running parts of that. And then, uh, had two separate attempts on that. And, uh, I think those were the most valuable training lessons I had this summer. Um, the first one, I went to another wedding the weekend before trying it on a Monday. So I came in, uh, just kind of already exhausted and, and not, uh, not primed for a good, good run but uh i was out there for about 24 hours only got five peaks and just the lack of sleep just destroyed me and then uh about a month later i tried the nolan's route again and uh this time got nine peaks before just being at altitude too long i just kind of lost it and uh had to bail after nine but that was kind of my summer was was just uh trying for that and a lot of failure that's that's really fascinating um and so i mean did that humble you for the start of tahoe 200 i mean were you mentally like just so used to you know running out of steam after 24 hours essentially and and maybe did that hold you back at all um it kind of made me know or let me know where my weak points were so i was kind of looking at sleep was definitely going to be a huge thing in tahoe i think everybody knew that and uh and then kind of got my nutrition really dialed in the second time and and felt more comfortable with what i could eat i was out there for like 33 hours and kind of like how my body would react after moving for that long that's longer than any hundred i've ever done um your body definitely We'll start rejecting things after a while, and uh, if it happens early on in a 200-mile race, like, like uh, this time, it, food was an issue almost right from the start. After about 30 miles in, I didn't eat anything solid, um, but it, I guess it was something I was prepared for. Um, after my adventures this summer, I, I kind of knew solid foods don't really sit that well, so I was doing all kinds of liquid calories for the last like 150 to 170 miles. So I don't mean to start so specifically, um, 
Roger on, on Patreon asked a question specifically, did you go in with the sleep rest type plan or did you, were you just going off feel for the race? Like, did you? No. Yeah, I was not going to sleep. That was the plan going in. Um, I guess, yeah, going into the race, I really thought the course record was beatable. And so that was definitely the goal is to go, I thought 48 hours was possible. If you just didn't sleep and you just kept moving. Um, so my goal was just to try to do as many 12-minute miles as I could and uh, just not sleep. And uh, so that's kind of my, my prep was just trying to get as much sleep as I possibly could for about the two weeks before the race, just to almost have like a backlog of sleep piled up that I could draw on. And uh, I think it worked pretty well. I was never, I mean, I was super amped up, in part because it was a race going late into the day. Um, but I just, like, had no plan on resting or sleeping at all. And, and uh, my mental attitude, I think, really helped make that possible. Just, I, I kind of thought of it similar to dropping. Like, if that's never even a thought in your mind during a race, then it, like, never creeps up and it's not something you think about. And, and that's very much the way I treat sleep. Uh, it's just planning on not doing it, not having anything to do with it. Uh, I guess it works. So. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I wish... I wish I had the speed not to worry about that come Moab 240, but I think going four days straight without sleep, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good game plan for me personally. Um, but yeah, for you, two days, I mean, that's solid. That's that's crazy to even think about. Um, and so one of the questions I get all the time, like people assume you have to do 100 milers as training runs, essentially, to do 200 milers. I mean, have you done many hundred milers and kind of what are your thoughts on even attempting to develop a training regimen for this? Um, so I actually did very, a lot less running than I've done in the past for training for hundred milers. Um, my last hundred miler was the bear about a year ago. So it definitely wasn't recent. And uh, I, I was just looking through my training log this summer. I had one week where I had 88 miles. And then, other than that, my peak weeks were about 65 miles a week. It really wasn't much, um, but I had a lot of vert. So I was trying to get about 100,000 vert a month, so like 25,000 a week. And then uh, a, fair, a fair amount of mountain biking as well. So that, that really meant, I guess I was getting my intensity from mountain biking and then a lot of hiking Yeah. Uh, in my run. It seemed like almost every uphill was, was more of a hike than a run. And uh, then kind of maxed out my hours around 20 hours a week or so. Okay. Is kind of what I focus on more than mileage. And do you do any other cross-training besides mountain biking? And that's, I mean, mountain biking alone is awesome. I, I've sort of discovered that um, trying to get ready for some Leadville races. Uh, I mean, do you do free weights or push-ups? Do you work on uh, Yeah, core? I do a lot of body I do a lot of body weight fitness kind of stuff. Um, part of it's I don't want to pay for a gym, and just like that extra extra step of having to go to a gym makes it less likely that I'll actually do the the workout. So anything I can do from home or or at a buddy's house is is going to be much more likely to happen than than going to a gym. Um, but yeah, I try to like focus on my weaker spots for weight training stuff. So like. I think I was going to use poles, and my shoulders are usually the first thing to give out on, on longer runs with poles, so a lot of stuff with that, 
uh, more upper body stuff than I think most running plans would recommend. And then uh, kind of the stabilizing muscles for running, so like your glute meets and um, just a lot of squats as well. Yeah. There, there's some big thighs in Tahoe. There are no skinny legs starting out that, that race. <laughs> I mean, it's it's what? Uh, I'm trying to remember how much gain there is on the overall course. It's a ton, right? I think it's 40? like 40,000 is what I've heard. I, I haven't got my, my watch data to upload yet, but uh, yeah, I've seen anywhere from 35 to 40,000 feet. Wow, that's crazy. Um, and so... Going into the start line, I mean, were you feeling 100%? Were you overcoming any injuries that you might have sustained from Nolan's attempts? I mean, how how were you? Um, I, I felt really good. Um, I felt like I hadn't trained enough miles, which I, I was definitely nervous about. I mean, it had been, what, like four or five months since I had a 100-mile week, so I, definitely nervous about doing that many miles um and, and i started out pretty slow I, I bet i was at the first climb it's like two and a half k over i think like four miles or so that's probably outside of the top 10 at that and um just took it pretty mellow and uh, i kind of ran the first 50 miles or so without paying attention to what the rest of the course was doing um and that's that's about courtney had like close to a two hour lead on me at that point by the hundred mile mark it was over two hours so yeah. she built up quite a bubble um but uh it was very much running my own race for at least the first half um just kind of trying to run a pace that i thought was sustainable for two days yeah um, that's but, that's uh <laughs> I, I mean i call that my run forever pace but i've always just used that for 100 miles so that's uh right that's insane mentally to even contemplate. Um, and so when you hit the start line, were you going out to win this race? Did you want to yeah, be competitive? You were going out to yeah. win it. Yeah. Yeah, right from the start, for sure. So that takes um, intense patience and confidence to see everyone blast up the first climb and you know, even the first quarter of the race, everyone's flying and you're, you're holding yourself back. I mean... Were you confident with how you were going, or did you say food didn't go well to start with? Um, I, I guess I knew kind of what I thought I was capable. Um, so I, I was wearing a heart rate monitor for the first half of the race, and I don't know if it was like a little bit of dehydration or what, but it, it was just really high for for things that shouldn't have, like just hiking up the first hill. Uh, I was trying to keep my heart rate at 140 or below, and uh, I, I couldn't keep it below 150 at, at the start of the race without feeling like I was just going, I was still walking, but just walking so slow, um, so I kind of slid a little bit for the first hour or two of the race, and uh, it wasn't until the nighttime, or the first night, about 12 hours in, where my, I feel like my heart rate finally started to calm down, so maybe I was just getting rehydrated then, uh, but I was very much just running what I, I thought was sustainable for that long, and uh I was really hoping to run as even a splits. I thought that would be, I thought pacing would be extremely important in something as long. In my experience of my hundred milers, it's, it's been, uh, that's kind of the most important factor is not starting out too fast and, and being able to run strong all the way through the race. That makes a huge difference in your time just in the last couple hours of the race, whether you're running or, or if you're bonked out. 
And so tell me, I mean, how how is the race going for you when you hit, like, the halfway point? Uh, it's feeling pretty good. So I think coming into mile 30 was the second aid station. These aid stations, especially in the beginning, were pretty spread out. I mean, most of them were close to 20 miles. So there's an aid station at 10 miles. I kind of went pretty quickly through, and then I think I was in about fifth place at mile 30. And uh, had kind of a longer stop there and changed shoes. And uh, got out of there, and I think I passed one guy on the climb coming out of there. And uh, by the time I got into the next aid station at mile 50, it was just getting dark, and I just passed the third-place guy. Uh, um, so I got in there, and I, I think Courtney was about an hour and a half or so, 50 miles in. And it was getting dark, and uh, I I kind of get excited for, for dark time. It, it feels like if you're in the hunt and you're chasing, then, uh, I don't know, it feels like the, the predator and you comes alive and it's more of a, more of a hunt at night. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then, uh, got my, my first pacer at mile 62 and, uh, had pacers for the last 140 plus miles, which I think was a huge, huge help mentally just being able to kind of zone out and, uh, not have to kind of be on as much the first night, especially um, where you just kind of just zone out and just do your forever pace. Yeah. Um, how many? But, uh, how many pacers did you utilize throughout the whole race? Because 125. I mean, that's there's not a, a huge amount of people that can just do that for the whole time. Yeah, I had uh, my girlfriend ran. She ran. Let's see, like a. Uh, almost 30 mile segment starting at mile 60 i think and nice. then ran the last seven so she's close to 40 miles i had a buddy patrick with me who did another about 40 miles uh, i had a friend phil who lives in tahoe who did a 20 mile section with me and then uh buddy marco drove up with me 15 hour drive up ran about i think he was a little over 40 miles and then drove the 15 miles back or 15 hours back sorry so he gets some some super props there yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, to have people like taking personal days off of work to help you towards your goal and that sort of thing in my head is like I've never experienced, you know, that type of dedicated crew and pacer needs for for this type of race. It's crazy. And yeah, it's certainly unique. <laughs> yeah. Um and so how when you see that Courtney's about an hour and a half ahead of you, I mean, it seems like you're confident throughout this whole race that um, you'll catch her. I mean, was there ever a time you were questioning yourself or, you know, saying like, mm, I don't know if I can make a hundred or, you know, an hour and a half up on someone as confident as a Courtney DeWalter? No, I, I was super confident the whole time. I, there's kind of, my lowest spot was somewhere around at the housewife hill around like 135 or so and that's kind of where i first really felt the miles build up and and just felt run down at that point and, and that was the only point in the race where i really felt like oh man i have 70 miles to go is, is that even possible um but i had a really rejuvenating short rest at uh that aid station and i think that's where i started uh drinking some energy drinks and I took some ibuprofen there and that really turned things around. Um, 
but even, I mean, so I, that was around mile 62. Where I think she was an hour and a half up. And then she got another, like, half hour on me throughout the night. So I, I came into uh, the halfway point. Um, what's, what's the name of that aid station? I think Heavenly Ski Resort. It was about 102 miles in or so. And I ran the first half of the race in, like, 22.45, which wow. I thought was was pretty good pacing. I, th- I thought I was pretty capable of running something similar for the second half. Um, and it, it just, I don't know. I, I, I figured if Courtney, she ran over two hours faster than me. So I figured if she's in that good of shape to run something similar to that in the second half, you know, there's no way I'm going to catch her and there's no way I would have caught her. So, um, I kind of just had to run the best race that I thought I was capable of. And um, from there, it was a hunt. Um, Buddy Phil took me for 20 miles coming out of Heavenly, and I think we made up 40 minutes on her in the 20 miles. Um, We really kind of ran that, looking back, definitely too hard. But uh, (laughs) it was was good uh, good for my mental state to know that I could actually make up some of that time. So back when you said you took a quick nap, what is a quick nap? Because it's all... Kind oh no! I didn't, I didn't take a nap. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I didn't take any naps, sir. So you slept <laughs> zero five. zero minutes throughout this whole race. Zero zero seconds. Yeah. Okay. Zero seconds. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, tell me when you're tell me how it's going when you're approaching Courtney. You, you know, you're sounds like you're licking your chops. You're ready to make a move like tell me about that how's that work in a 200 miler to be on the hunt that i mean that was the most exciting part of the race for me um it really started after that that section from the halfway point once i knew like okay we can make up ground on her um i got my next pacer in and, and we we started making up like 20 minutes a segment every every time be like oh, okay you made up 10 15 minutes on this segment and, uh, I mean, every part of it was very much like a hunt. You know, I, I could see the tread of her shoes in the ground as I was going along. And, like, okay, she must have switched pacers here because her tread's the same and this one's different. Or, like, I could see uh, a gummy bear that she dropped when she was eating. And then, like, I could see, like, water she spit up. Just, like, every little detail as you go along. And you're very much like a tracker going through the woods or something. And, uh, man, I, that's the longest I've been amped up for that long uh, in my life, I think. So you're like hyper aware of your surroundings and legitimately tapping into like primal sensory. And I mean, you're seeing like twigs that are snapped, you know, branches like, um, wow, that's amazing. I, I had no idea that's how this race was going for you. And so when did you actually catch her? Uh, at the aid station at mile 181. Um, that was Loon Lake. Uh, man, I, I kind of feel bad that my buddy Marco paced me from mile one, uh, let's say it's like 136 to 181, I think. And uh, coming out of uh, coming out of the aid station at 136, it was a long downhill for a while. And I, I was bombing that. I mean, was, I wish I could, I could see what my actual mile splits were there, but definitely made up a ton of time on, on this segment up to Wright Lake. And then... Uh, one story I wanted to get in here is uh, we were on this four-mile road climb up to up to Wright's Lake, and uh, this is it's just now getting dark. So we just turned on our headlamps, and we're on this paved road going up to uh, a trailhead up at Wright's Lake. 
and this big deer-sized animal goes across the road and like my vision's already starting to see some stuff and see some movements and uh marco's like did you see that like yeah i definitely saw something like and it didn't make any hoof noise and he's like yeah that was a mountain lion and uh like, we look over into the woods and i didn't make any noise across the road like it had hooves or anything and then went about 50 feet into the woods and didn't make any noise and turned around and stared at us and like that was another just like oh man it's a sign we gotta we gotta go we're we're in the hunt um but man it, when we got into the aid stations each time it was like a little update uh to see like how far back she was and then or how far up she was and they'd tell me and that'd just be like another bump to to the adrenaline and I, yeah. there's one aid station uh the one right before i caught her they told me i was 20 minutes back and i remember just like yelling this primal scream and like yelling marco we gotta go we gotta go now and like just running out of the aid station um yeah so it was uh from there i was about 20 minutes back and it was five miles to the next aid station so i didn't think i'd catch her i wasn't gaining that much time on her that quick um so i i got into loon lake was the aid station and uh i guess she was trying to take a nap there and uh as soon as i came in she was like oh man all right gotta get out of here so she left immediately and and uh did you guys uh, did you guys exchange any words there or uh yeah i i said how you doing something along the lines of like oh there you are you know how many miles i've been chasing you (laughs) um i hadn't seen anybody since uh right before mile 50 so like somewhere around mile 45 to 181 you know like almost 140 miles of of not seeing another racer just chasing her Um, you you said earlier i mean i think i read through that it was taylor spike is that right that you passed mile 45 and then you didn't see anyone any other competition until 181 yeah i think it might have not been him i think i i might have seen him earlier but yeah anyway it was the last person i saw like right before the aid station at mile 50 so yeah it's just my pacers from there and so i mean a lot of times it's really tough to stay motivated in a race when you're in that like no man's land just not seeing anybody um but what was really cool i've never had this in a race before where you can i like pull out my phone and and check the same tracking website everybody else was on and, and i could see how far up she was or and see what the splits were and so for most of the race that i had cell service I could check it and see, and that was really cool and really motivating. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And so this whole time you're on the hunt, I mean, you have hiking poles, I'm assuming, or did you run without them? Yeah, I I used them only on the ups for the first 100 miles or so, and then I'd stash them in my pack. Um, okay. But kind of the second 100 miles, I was, I was moving slow enough, I could justify them on the downs and flats as well. And you um, weren't holding them like a spear as you're in your primal <laughs> attack mode um man that's no a... i did a, a little uh diy so job on my running vest to uh to make a little pole holder on the back kind of schemo style where you like stick in one end and then have an elastic wrap around the other um, that's nice i i've i saw a lot of that actually at like utmb and ccc people had like sewn their own into yeah. a lot of the vests um, so you pass her, you're amped. I mean, this is like, you know, you've worked 140 miles to get to this point. I mean, do you find yourself going out just 
too hard those initial miles when you take the lead or are you calm and collected or tell me how that that's going um so she left like a minute ahead of me i think i could still see her headlamp from the aid station when i left moon lake and um i don't know i wanted to project strength so i i, I passed her probably running about an eight minute mile going by and uh i was just trying to get a, a big enough gap and it's still dark out so she can see a headlamp pretty far out and i tried to gap her enough where she couldn't see my headlamp but talking to her after the race she could like see it she could see me start walking again so i maybe put like a quarter mile on her so before i had to like take walking breaks again and and she kind of maintained that gap for for way too long um <laughs> yeah That's... yeah i wish i could have ran more at that point just to, like give myself more of a cushion but i, I didn't want to pass her that early it's way easier to run and way easier to stay motivated when you're chasing but as soon as i was in front things got really difficult and kind of like once you're not chasing your mental attitude has to change to something else and and uh i kind of just went angry for the rest of the race (laughs) that's interesting uh, so i mean every 200 miler interview that i have i have to ask i mean are you hallucinating at at this point i mean you're exerting yourself for two days straight with no sleep um yes I mean, I got to hear those details. Yeah, I would say it started seriously around like the 36-hour mark. And then somewhere into that second night, there were more hallucinations than reality. Like, I couldn't focus on anything. Even uh, like running on a Jeep road where there'd be grass grown in the middle, like just everything would move. I could focus on even my running path in front of me for like two or three seconds at a time before like the grass would start moving in and turning into things. I'd see like a bicycle in the woods or see all kinds of animals. They're mostly happy animals. Not everything was supposed to be in the woods. So like little aliens and, um, but just movement of everything, like the trees would move and just, so you're, it it was really wild. So you're essentially running through a Van Gogh painting with other things that are interact. I mean, were you talking to things were they talking to you was there music like because i've heard some fascinating stories i mean yeah it was kind of nice like i just knew none of it was real so you just kind of like see it and accept it and then just go on but man like i don't know how you it was really difficult to like focus on footing and that kind of thing when just nothing seems to stay put. And it's the second half of the race, or I guess not even the second half, but maybe the final quarter of the race or so, lost a lot of the elevation gain that the first half of the race had, but it also lost a lot of the smoothness the trail had. The Tahoe Rim Trail was was really buffed out, really fast, really runnable stuff, but um, we kind of got off that to go around the Desolation Wilderness, and then there were all kinds of sticks and stuff in the road and um, they're on the trail and it just became really difficult to focus uh, on anything. It's it's hard when aliens are talking to you or spaceships or whatever that was. Um. Yeah, they, they didn't talk so much, but they were definitely looking at me. And was... So how was... Um, these last 20 miles are kind of where I was like, oh my gosh, like we have two people racing 
the last 20 of a 200 miler like legit this could go back and forth and this is i don't know if this has ever happened before and i hope no one dies because this is like never been tested i mean i i was super excited just looking at little dots on a map hitting refresh um <laughs> and so how was how was food for the last 20 how was caffeine and I mean, were you pounding Red Bulls? How were you keeping your eyes open? Because Courtney, um, you know, told me that she was having trouble just keeping her eyes open. Uh, oh for, yeah, for that last part. Um, I was mixing five-hour energy in with my tailwind for the last like uh, twenty-four hours of the race. I, oh I think God. I had. I, I said after the race, like six to ten five-hour energies during the race, and I think it's probably closer to the six end, but. I mean, I, I had a lot of them for sure. And then every time I'd get to an aid station, I wasn't really doing solid food, but I had like these uh, vanilla latte Kroger, you know, coffee drink kind of things. And I could still chug those. And those were like 250 calories. So I was able to get some calories down at the aid stations and then mostly tailwind. And then I could do like gummy bears and gels. I ate gels the whole time. That's wow. Kind of something usually I'm grossed out by. That's but unusual. I don't know, somehow, somehow um, they went okay. And so when you go into that borderline, like, delusional state, and is food taste different to you? Um, I, man, I, I don't recall the taste so much at all. It was more of like a, like, I, I told my pacers, like, tell me every 25 minutes or so to eat something. So it was more just like a, a requirement, like, all right, if you're going to keep running, you have to keep eating. So it's been 25 minutes, you have to do something. And I think that was enough. I think, like, on paper, looking at it, I feel like I should have eaten more, but whatever it was 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 enough. How many, going, how many but, uh, calories do you think you put down, at, like, every hour? Oh, man. It had to be um, sizable for the level of effort you're putting forward there. I mean, had to be 300 minimum, right? That, that would be my guess, somewhere in that ballpark. And it definitely went down as the race went along, and I was able to stomach a little less. Uh, and a lot of that was liquid calories too. So it's, it's kind of tough. I mean, depending on who mixes the tailwind, who knows how strong it actually is and how many calories are actually in it. Um, but yeah, I, it was less food than I, than I thought. Ideally, I think I would like to eat more, but I don't know. What are you going to do? Hey, <laughs> a win is a win. I mean, geez. Yeah. So did, did you have any stomach distress throughout the whole race or was that, did that hold up? It didn't feel like stomach so much. It was just like I had no appetite. Um, so, like, something that I could drink real quick was fine, but I couldn't, like, sit and chew something. I was just like, yeah, I'm and, just not going to be game for that. I mean, last kind of random race question, like, did you get a headache at all throughout this? I mean, I don't sleep well with my newborn, and I sometimes wake up with a headache. <laughs> <laughs> You're going for 49 hours straight, 49 and a half. Um, no, I really, I, I do well just kind of embracing the suck and and really kind of going into my, my pain cave. And I, I I remember, like, especially my last two pacers, just, like, they would try to say something positive about, oh, you're moving great for this point in the race. And it's like, I don't want to hear it at all. <laughs> I just, we just got to keep moving. Um, and then, man, especially the last, seven miles or so um so most of the race i was able to track 
what the gap was on my cell phone with that tracking app, but there wasn't much service for the last, like, 40, 50 miles or so. So then it became more of a guessing game. And uh, so I knew from mile 181 to the last aid station is at mile, like, 199 or 198, something like that. So I had no update in between there on, on where she was. And then after the last aid station, there was also a 25K going on Sunday morning. So there were lots of other racers out there running on the course. And uh, the 25K was an out and back. So there were, like, the lead group of guys came by. I mean, they're just flying, you know. They're running, like, eight-minute miles or so. I'm I'm struggling to do 15-minute miles at this point. And uh, we didn't really know where she was. And so I keep looking back, like, oh, man, she cannot pass me here. This would be devastating. So really trying to push hard and – we see that this gal, she ended up being the, the leader for the 25K race, but she is bombing down the down the track. And I, oh, man, and my girlfriend's pacing me for this last section. She's like, Kyle, you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. So I start, I just, like, start hammering for, like, 30 seconds. There. I, I can't do this at all. I'm, like, 200 miles on my legs. I can't, I can't run faster than I am right now. And so she flew by, and I'm like, oh, thank God that wasn't her, but. I Man, can just it, imagine it, the look on your face, like just mortified as someone effortless, effortlessly is like gaining on you. Um, yeah. It, how was the it, last? How was? How were those last five miles in? I mean. Oh, I was running scared. I, was, I kept looking back, seeing if she was going to catch me or not, and it's uh, it's coming down a ski slope, which. Man, like this did it, Run Rabbit Run did it, the Bear did it. Like all these races end on like a super steep downhill. They just, oh man, I just like have some litany of curse words as my mantra going down because it, <laughs> it just hurts so bad on your quads and just your whole legs. And man, like the downhills at the end, I, I would want uphills way more than any downhill at that point in the race. Um, but like, I kept saying like all right. there were a ton of cameras more cameras than i expected and like all right don't look like a wimp at the end you gotta run in and pretend like you're doing to pretend like you're still strong at this point in the race so, and what um, yeah what was going through your head when you hit the finish line i mean i know just for my much shorter races like i don't even have the energy to really get emotional i mean how was it crossing the finish line and having you know, accomplished what you set out for? It's a lot of relief more than anything. I, I think you hit on a, a pretty accurate point about just like not really being able to emotionally process it. It's just more relief of not having to run anymore and kind of, kind of being done is, was the overwhelming feeling. And, um, I like sat down just probably like three feet after the, the finish line and, and just like, started shaking violently and, and yeah Whoa. So yeah my whole my whole body shut down um yeah like lost my vision for a little bit just was shaking for a while and and ended up taking a, a short nap and felt much better afterwards <laughs> just right there on the finish line or <laughs> yeah like oh my I mean, gosh it, it was uh, yeah i couldn't i mean i couldn't walk from from the spot where i sat down to you know like 150 feet away to the car Wow. It's just like complete and total collapse. Man, I mean, that's almost like going to be a case study on how you mentally run across the finish line, but then the second you finish, you physically are like unable. Um, 
that's really fascinating. And so, I mean, were you concerned about yourself or were you just like so exhausted? You just wanted to sleep regardless of what was going on or? Um, I call it the death rattle. So it's kind of happened with every, every hundred miler I've ran and some of the tougher, shorter races as well. But yeah, just for some amount of time after the race, I just like just start shaking and, and can't stop. It's like a, a shiver, but not from cold, just like from exhaustion or, or exertion or something. Oh man. Um, so I guess I wasn't as concerned, but I think the people who saw saw what was going on were more concerned. Yeah. That's that's really interesting and huge congrats on, on getting through and racing the last I've never I mean, I haven't been co- you know, covering them that closely, but to race at that level for that distance is just like mind blowing. So I'm I'm glad to get some details on that and um, let's so let's take a real huge step back from that race. I want to find out how you got yourself, you know, physically in condition to race mile 181 against Courtney DeWalter. Um, <laughs> where where'd you grow up? Where'd you start running? Um, I, I ran in high school in uh, Columbus, Ohio, um, but I, I was never really any good. I got never made top seven in high school cross country team or anything like that. We had a pretty good team, but, um, yeah, like that was never my primary sport. I kind of wrestling was, was my go-to sport. So I ran cross country to get in shape for that. And, uh, kind of had a lost couple of years after high school as far as athletics go. Didn't, didn't run a whole lot. Um, and then at, at 22, I decided, uh, I wanted to like run a bucket list marathon before I got too fat and out of shape. And, uh, me and my bat, me and my dad both trained up for the Columbus marathon that year. And, uh, we both ran it and I think it's like a, a three thirty or so, but that was the end of my running career after that. I didn't really <laughs> plan on doing it again. Um, but, uh, then I was, I was one of those people who read born to run and, uh, was super inspired by that book and kind of feeling out the potential of, of what humans are capable of. And I kind of wanted to test myself and uh, signed up for a 100-mile race. I'd never done a trail race or anything before this, Um, just that one marathon. Um, I guess I'd ran a second marathon in there, too. So I'd ran two two marathons before my first 100 and uh, had no idea what I was getting into. I was wearing, uh, like, the Vibram Five Fingers everybody was crazed about for a while. (laughs) I ran a... Ran like the first 80 miles or so of my first hundred in those, and uh, destroyed my feet. And uh, had an aid station worker at like mile 75 or 80 or something like refused to let me leave until I put on a different pair of shoes. <laughs> would protect me a little better. Oh um, man! But kind of yeah, first one really crushed me. I, I think it was like 28 or 29 hours, and and uh, I never planned on running another one again. Um, but it just didn't sit well with me for a while. And, uh, so eventually later on in that year, it's like, all right, I, I gotta sign up for this race again and do a little better. Um, yeah, it's like middle of the pack and, and I think I, I got beat by like a 55 year old woman and it's like, man, that's not your best effort, Kyle. You, you can probably do a little better. So I ended up going back to that race is the Ozark hundred mile race, uh, went back in 2013 
and uh, ended up getting second place there, and then went back in 2014 and uh, won the race and, and got a course record there. So wow. I, I dropped my time from, I think I dropped my time, what, like 13 hours from 2012 to 2014? That's, that's a decent improvement. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so, not to backtrack, I mean, you know, reading some of your background, I mean, were you running when you were doing special ops? Because you, it was Ar- U.S. Army, is that correct, that you were in? Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I, it's, the Army was more just kind of general overall staying in shape. They're not going to get you in under mile shape. Um, so that was definitely something I did more on my own. Okay, um, and but were the two paralleled, or did you actually get out of shape when you joined the Army? Like, Yeah, you, I, would, I would say I was fairly out of shape when I first joined the Army. And that was in 2009, and okay. then my first first hundred was in 2012. Okay, that's that's interesting, and um, I, I'm still shocked that they don't just like go to the end of a hundred miler or two hundred miler for recruitment. Um, <laughs> uh, that's always my joke. Um, so you improved your time from middle of the pack at the Ozark Trail 100 in 2012, and then you show up two years later and you throw down a sizable difference um, to the point where it's like a red flag, it's so good. Like, how did, how did your training change, and how did your improve, you improved almost 10 hours off 100-mile time? I mean, that's, like, unreal. Um, what... What was the biggest change or changes that you made? Like, were you changing the food you're eating? Was it just base mileage? Like, were you actually focused on speed work? What would you do to make that improvement? Um, I think a lot of it is racing strategy really improved. Um, just pacing in 100 milers is outrageous. I, I have no idea why people start out so fast. It kind of blows my mind every race. You know, you get a lead pack of people running, like, sub-eight minutes, sometimes sub-seven-minute miles at the start of these races. That's not sustainable. I don't know what's going on. Um, but I think, yeah, just having really even splits. Um, like, my, my best races have all been really consistent throughout the whole thing. So that, that was a big improvement. And then I think your body just gets used to running that extreme kind of distance. So just having the, the library of longer training runs and, you know, uh, I think I heard in one of your podcasts the other day, like not wanting to run a fast K, fast 50 K, but like being able to run a 50 K every day. That's kind of like the the fitness level I like to hang out at. And just like what, 50K what, is, any day. What, what is a comfortable pace for you? Just out of curiosity. I mean, you throw down super fast 200 milers and hundred milers. Like, like, can you go to the track and do a five minute mile or are you, are you totally focused on being able to run a nine-minute mile forever? Uh, no, I definitely do track workouts. and um, Yeah, for like mile splits, I, I do try to keep it right around five-minute pace is usually about what my workouts are. Wow. Um, like I, I like the Yasso 800 workout. Like uh, it's 10 800s with the same amount of rest as the time you ran in between. And I think we – I did those – Let's see, last time I did that was earlier this summer. I think we did them at like 235 pace. So, for an yeah, that's amazing. Um, and so you, you've you pushed your VO2 max down to the floor. 
So when you're running nine minutes, you're not coming anywhere close to tapping into, you know, that realm of training. That's, like, is that fair that's to say? The hope. Yeah, that's that's kind of the goal for sure. Kind of get your uh, your lactate threshold pace as low as you can. I think it makes running efficient at, at all paces better. But I mean, the pace you're running for a 200 mile pace, like I was trying to hit 12 minute miles for the first half of the race, it was the goal. You know, that's not fast. That's not something you do on a track. You're um, doing two thirties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very different. And wow. it's tough to justify that on paper, but I really do think it helps a lot being able to run fast miles. And what's, what's like a long run for you? I mean, I assume you use some races as long runs and I mean, within a training block, I, I still, I'm middle of the pack at best, and I get all these questions about, you know, how am I feeling going into the 240, like, oh, you've only done two two or three hundred milers, like, like people are almost disappointed that I didn't do a hundred miler in 2018, and I'm like, guys, like, a hundred K should be adequate, like, I've done a hundred K type race yeah. every, every, oh, mo- totally every month in 2018, it's like... If I were to do 100 milers, I mean, my body just, I think I'd break myself going into a 200 miler. Um, Oh, I agree. Yeah, I think that's too much. 100Ks are kind of, you can recover quickly enough, but anything beyond that, you're really doing some damage to your body. That 40 miles, guys, is not not easy, (laughs) (laughs) that extra 40 at the end. Um, And so what was a typical long run for you throughout your training? I know you're doing time in the mountains, too. Yeah, I would say most of them were more hikes than runs. Um, I did, uh, I, I guess it was my third year doing uh, do the Hard Rock course the week before the race and uh, just do it with a backpack and hike it over three days. And so this was my third year in a row doing that. So you're doing 100 miles in three days on uh, some pretty gnarly terrain. Yeah, that's, and then uh, that's a lot the of scouting for, uh, for that Nolan's route. And, uh, I mean, just Mount Princeton on that, I mean, that's, that takes seven hours to do that mountain. Um, so it's, it's difficult to compare, you know, it's like only 15 miles, but it's you know, like seven hours that's, is a long time. So that's I'm, a, I'm not sure. That's a week of training sometimes <laughs> for me. I mean, honestly, yeah. seven hours. Yeah. If I have seven hours every week, uh, yeah, it's, it's not that bad actually. So that's impressive, man. Only 15 miles. Um, and so, but it feels stupid when you're out there. You're like, "What am I training for?" That I'm I'm really only moving 15 miles in seven hours. Like, no races like that. What are you doing? So you kind of I don't know. It, it's tough to to justify it when you're out there doing it. But I think it also teaches you some mental skills of really let's, how to suffer. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about the mental side of running a 200 miler. You know, a lot of these harder 100 milers. You, you've had successful Bandera. 100Ks and Black Canyon 100Ks. I mean, it looks like you're on the path to getting to Western States eventually here. Um, let's talk about I get the enough m- tickets. <laughs> yeah. Um, what mental aspects, like, have you fully utilized and improved at? Um, specifically Tahoe, I mean, that had to take a hell of a lot of mental strength. Um but what, what areas have you improved on mentally for these ultras? Because there's a lot physically that's clearly um, gotten better over time. Like, what mental aspects have you changed? Um, hmm. 
Let's see. I, I really, uh, I think it's important to be in the race mentally and, and more than just like a long run on your own. Like even if, you know, I didn't see anybody for 140 miles, but staying mentally engaged and knowing that, that you're still in the race and you're still competing, I think was a big thing. I've definitely gotten caught in races in the past, kind of getting in that no man's land and just getting discouraged, feeling like I can't make up any of the gap of the people in front of me and, and you just get caught and then you start slowing down later in the race and you just, but uh, I think staying mentally engaged in the race is really important for me. Feeling like I'm still pushing for a reason. I'm still making it hurt for a reason, I guess. I mean, um, your discipline level is like off the charts and honestly just just speaking with you hearing like i want to do 12 minute miles like at the beginning of tahoe when in training you can go to the track and throw down like serious fast um, running um just that sentence alone i could almost tell like yeah military type discipline like (laughs) holy cow because it takes a lot to hold back and it sounds like you, I mean, would you consider yourself disciplined when it comes to race day? Um, man, I, I can't, I heard that word a lot, like a lot of discipline, and a lot of patience, but that is not something I would use to self-describe myself. That's interesting. I, yeah, I guess yeah. I, I didn't really feel patient during the race. I, I, I felt like I was just kind of running my own race for the first half. And then it, then it was like, okay, you got to start catching up. You got to start working hard. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I don't know how patient I was. <laughs> I didn't feel patient. At least I felt pretty worried, especially when when the gap got over two hours. That's a long time. So real quick, um, before I shift gears into quicker questions, like what what races do you have on the horizon? Like what kind of goals do you have race wise, or not race wise? Uh, I'm doing a, a pretty fun little race in Durango in a couple of weeks called the Durango Double. Um, got my partner Jordan to. It's a one part run. It's a half marathon trail race, and then you tag out with your partner who's going to mountain bike, and then it's like an 18 mile mountain bike loop. So got that coming up in about a month, and then uh, running Pinhoti Hundred. Nice. In November, and uh, I'm definitely amped for that. Um, got some friends from Tennessee coming out and another buddy of mine from Durango is racing as well. And, uh, there's always some good competition there. So I'm definitely, uh, hoping for a fast race and some good competition. So your, your training background, I mean, you're spending so much time in the mountains. I assume you want to do hard rock eventually states typical, yeah, like the UTMB. I'm not so sold on UTMB, but yeah, definitely. I've been putting in for hard rock and Western the last four and five years. So, uh, just unlucky with lotteries there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the hard rock course is unbelievable. It's, it's almost, I kind of feel bad for the people who go out and race it and don't really get to enjoy, especially the parts they go through at night. It's incredibly scenic. It's, it's such a cool course. It's not even, they don't even try to make it hard. That's just, I mean, the route that you would take through the mountains to connect these towns, that's about the easiest route you can take. And, and, uh, it's just kind of the way it is it's it's just, so beautiful out there i mean i felt like i was a professional photographer just randomly snapping a instagram photo like 
Um, oh yeah, definitely. Definitely, like crewing out there or crewing and pacing, volunteering. Um, Silverton's awesome. Like truly love it out there, and I only got a small taste of it. And yeah, yeah, it's it's a special place. Um, so really quick, uh, most important question of the day. Sock wise, toe socks, no toe socks. Yeah, I think I'm a toe socks fan. Yes. So that wasn't a weird yeah. question for you. No, I, I own all varieties, but uh, I think when I really need a a sock I can rely on, and going to be a long or difficult or or important run, I go with my toe socks. I knew I liked you, Kyle. That's good. That's Some wool. That's that's solid right there. Um. And then what, what type of ultras do you wear? Do you mix it up a bunch, or do you go to one or two? Superiors are definitely my go-to. Um, I ran the first 30 miles in some duos, which are a road shoe, but they're only like six or seven ounces. So I was hoping they'd be they'd be a good, uh, like, keep some weight off my legs for a while, but the Tahoe Trail was just too dusty, and it kind of got in through the mesh. And then uh, I ran in Superiors for the last 170 miles or so. And uh, go ahead. That's what I run. That's what I race in. uh, That's what I've raced in for the last three years. Everything. And so, do you wear gaiters also? Yeah, yeah. I think they're definitely worth it. And a couple grams, and that's got to be worth it to not have to pick things out of your shoes and reduce blisters. I mean, Ultra's gaiter trap system or whatever it's called is like phenomenal. Um, I, I agree. Yeah, it works great. It's really funny to me that I don't think hoka has anything similar i don't even think they have a gator well, i you can buy like the little velcro things that glue on i'm yeah. sure but uh yeah i think ultra does a great job um their shoes are super light great traction and i don't know running 100 miles and like i think the superiors are seven or eight ounces yeah uh, i mean that's really tough to beat for for a trail shoe nice and so any compression gear no, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I've experimented with it a little bit, but I feel like it's kind of almost caused as many problems as I, <laughs> I don't I know agree. that it's actually solved any. Yeah, as I run more and more, it's like less and less compression, in my opinion, just yeah. to let like joints and everything move a little bit more freely. But uh, calf sleeves aren't aren't horrible for me. Um, I like mixing it up too, like not every run having the same exact equipment um do you wear a hydration vest like what what brand do you like there um man i, I have like the second generation ud ak vest okay but i think at this point i've modified it so much that uh, <laughs> my own little version yeah i've got now i put the water bottles in back and like have a jacket storage underneath the water bottles and then keep food in front um, I, I guess I'm, I'm really familiar with it. I actually won this at a trail running event in 2014, and it's been my go-to vest since. Um, yeah, got all, all I, kinds of little... I want to see and, a picture a picture on Instagram of that one, just the all the different <laughs> modifications. I think that'd be cool to see. Um, and so do you use a, uh, a watch, GPS watch at all? Yeah, I was using, uh, yeah, I have a Sunto Ambit run I was using with a heart rate monitor, and I kept the heart rate monitor on for the first half, and uh, that's I, I was trying to use heart rate to monitor my effort level, 
and then after that I kind of just went on feel and then after about a hundred and let's see when I caught Courtney I quit wearing my watch I was just kind of sick of looking at it and and just didn't want to have it anymore. You, um, you had gone full primal at that point. You probably weren't wearing any clothes. or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the very last aid station at like 199 or something, I, I got rid of everything. I told them I didn't want gels or water or anything for the last one. I just wanted to go. And then they're like, no, oh, Kyle, you, you're going to be out there for like close to two hours. You need water and gels. <laughs> and come so in and war paint. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So... Um, I mean, any other gear? Like, what's your your single gear uh, kind of recommendation for two hundred milers as opposed to hundred milers? Um, man, I was I was a big fan. This is the first race I've ever used him. I had the bottles that have kind of the the straws that go up about two or three inches. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had those in the front of my vest for this race, and uh, and then I had bottles in the back. But while I was using poles, I could still drink tailwind. So on the climbs, I would just drink out of the, the bottle in front with a little straw. And nice. then after climbs, put away the poles, and then I'd drink from the bottles in the back. And that seemed to work pretty well. I, I've always kind of struggled. This is the first time I feel like I've really figured out how to eat on uphills while using poles. Is your hands get so busy, and then you like try to tuck your poles up somewhere and, and like undo the wrappers on whatever you're eating. And it just it's not a smooth transition, and it doesn't. It doesn't feel like you're in a routine or you're you're moving efficiently doing that, and uh, this was the way to go. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And so, uh, I have to ask, like, what what motivates you to train so hard and and to get after a two hundred miler? And like, what's what's the driving force? What's stoking your your training fire? Oh, uh, I think training is is the fun part for sure there's so many cool mountains and and great areas to go explore and you have to have like a certain fitness level to get to a lot of places without it being like a week-long trip um so that's definitely just getting out and exploring and and seeing some of the cool places around where i live is uh my biggest motivation for training that's awesome and then uh i feel like races are, are a cool opportunity to push your limits in kind of a safe zone you know, like if you if you go out for a long training run, and you bonk and you have to walk back in. You know, it's like that's no fun for anybody. But I feel like races with aid stations and and other races around and just the atmosphere make it a a really unique experience to push your levels to something that you wouldn't ordinarily do. Like, no way am I ever going out for a hundred, especially a two hundred mile run. You know, um, so it's got to be like a unique situation to, to go do that and, totally and especially tahoe with with courtney going out there and taking the lead and really making it a competitive atmosphere it was so cool you know like that's as far as i know never happened in a 200 miler before there's there's never been like a, a real race going on um, i again i was like my jaw hit the ground i was like is someone gonna die like this is never <laughs> this is untested like I don't think anyone's ever raced towards the end of a 200 miler before. And you guys were both going at it. Like Courtney did not give up. Um, no, I think her last split for the last section was faster than me. I think she gained a couple minutes on me. I, and, I mean, the bigger question is what would have happened if it was a 300 miler? No, I'm just kidding around. Um, <laughs> so what, um, 
what's your favorite recovery food after winning a 200 miler? Are you drawn towards like one food and you're like, I am freaking myself out here because I've had 14 whatever. I mean, is there one thing you're going towards or is it just calories? I, I had a scare this summer. I thought I, I might be turning lactose intolerant for a while, but I bet I've had between ice cream sandwiches and milkshakes <laughs> close to one a day since Tahoe. Probably on the over end, at least one a day kind of thing. Um, Did and you? then go ahead. I, I've been I've been eating everything since then. Um, it, it's kind of I, I tell people like after the race, it's kind of cool during Tahoe is like guilt free walking. You know, like you're still racing and you're walking at a pace that's still course record pace. And like afterwards, it's just guilt free whatever you want. Um, I, I do eat really healthy prior to a race, pretty no garbage. But um, right now, I'm making up for that for sure. Did you Did you gain weight? Or lose weight? During the, I think I lost about five or six pounds during the race. Interesting. Which, uh, sounds, I guess, pretty in line with, with what I expected. I mean, the real question, have you had a five-hour energy drink since the race? Or oh, man. Do you think you'll ever have one? I was scared to even one? drink coffee. <laughs> oh, I'll definitely have them again, man. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty scared to drink coffee again after the race, just like seeing if more caffeine would just make my heart explode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I feel like I'm just now like getting recovered. I I uh, I've biked almost every day for the last week or so, and and uh, like I think I told you I ran yesterday, but it didn't go great. So yeah, and take some more time off running. So and I appreciate all your time. Last question here: advice for ultra runners if they're like you and you know had done a marathon or two marathons, um, maybe even they're a hundred mile finisher and they have that buckle on the mantle or whatever. Um, you know, what's, what's your advice for someone thinking about ultra running and then thinking about 200 milers? Uh, if you're thinking about it, you've probably already embraced the crazy a little bit, but <laughs> I, I would just fall down that path. I mean, whatever. I mean, yeah, just, I, you're not normal if you're running 200 mile races. So you really got to embrace that and use that as you feel and, and know that, uh, you're going to push your body to, to that next level and just kind of be prepared for what's coming, That's whatever awesome. it is. I, I appreciate all the time, Kyle. Where can people follow you on social media? Um, uh, my last name's Curtin. Uh, so I'm Curtin one zero three. I uh, created that handle when I was wrestling in high school at 103 pounds. Um, oh my gosh! Stuck with it. So, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I'm on on all the all the social media stuff at Curtin 103. Well, big congrats! I mean, you you won one of the strangest races I've ever seen in my whole life. I'm surprised, you know, CNN isn't contacting you to have you talk about this because racing the end of a 200 milers just off the charts um and huge congrats for getting it done have a great recovery and uh we'll we'll stay in touch i'm sure we'll see each other at a race at some point so thanks for right, joining thanks, me. Rob. thanks rob i appreciate it all right and i totally forgot i'm trying to include more of the listeners feedback and emails and dms and whatnot so trainingforaltra at gmail.com if you do have questions i'm not gonna you know read every single question or i'm not even 
likely going to have questions on every episode, but this one, this was a pretty good one from Ellen. She said, I'm a big fan of the podcast and found it to be incredibly inspiring. Sorry, I'm losing my voice here. I have a recent newfound love of ultra running and can relate to your story. I began seriously running at the beginning of this year and have devoured as many YouTube videos, podcasts, books, documentaries as possible in in the process. And I totally relate to that. That's part of the reason I am trying to write a book and do this podcast is to synthesize down, you know, all the hundreds and hundreds of hours of reading and essentially studying ultra running. Like I'm not a coach. I'm not a pro. I'm middle of the pack at best, but um, I still think there is a way to simplify it a little bit. And that's why I do try to include tips here and there during these interviews and they're just from my experience but um you know hopefully you don't have to learn it the hard way so in the email she says since completing two 10ks and two half marathons i'm gearing up for my first marathon in october my goal is to then do a 50k in november and another 50k in december so that's pretty ambitious uh plan and honestly whatever motivates you to train and train smart so if if you feel like you can recover from that, you know your body best. You need to listen to it closely. I did the same thing, basically. So, I mean, I was probably six months into running from basically going to the doctor and I was going to be put on Lipitor. So my, my base level fitness was probably negative to start with. And, uh, yeah, I did a, a marathon, let's see, I think it was in April and then a 50K in May and a 50 miler in June. So it's doable. And I mean, honestly, if I had that period over again, I might have, I don't know, I I wouldn't have changed too much, but the 50 miler was a lot on my joints and tendons and stuff, like my ankle, ankle uh, muscles and tendons. It definitely, towards mile 40, like my body just wasn't used to that much running. So, I mean, I wouldn't have rushed it that much, but it sounds like you're doing a marathon, 250Ks. It's a lot every month, October, November, December. But again, you know yourself um, what you're capable of, and if you need to cancel a November and focus on the December, um, the December one is going to be harder than you think. It's more than just the distance because of the temperature. Uh, that definitely makes things more complicated. I did the huff. 50k and it was indianapolis indiana and uh it was it was probably one of the coldest moments i've been out on the trails um because you have to it's not like a master's level 50k or anything like that but you have to um have the experience of shedding layers and controlling your body temperature so there's a lot of complexity there but uh the way you learn that a lot of times is you just get out there and sometimes you dnf sometimes you finish solid but just you know don't be scared to dnf it's not the end of the world so not to drag it out here so her question is she wants to run the 50 mile uh moab behind the rocks event and she's gonna go kind of like solo and meet up with some other friends and can she do it without a support crew and how difficult is the course and her fitness level she's 
she actually is crushing half marathons. I mean, a 154, that's faster than I've ever done. So your base level fitness is solid. Um, my long runs are slower. And she's hoping to do a 100 miler at some point. So Ellen, I mean, it's it's your call. I think signing up for a 50 miler, if you're doing 50Ks monthly, like it sounds like you're doing a marathon, 50K, 50K. Uh, I mean, you're your base level should be there by March. You, you should see some adaptations. Again, I'm not a coach, um, but from my humble middle-of-the-pack experience level, I would say go for it. I mean, don't sign up for it until you finish that 50K in December and see how you're feeling because I know behind the rocks, 50-miler. I don't know. I don't want to tell you that and then it sells out. But I think you... Um, that race in particular is hard because of the humidity levels. The, it's very, very dry, and so you don't feel like you're sweating, but you're perspirating, and it's evaporating immediately, so your dehydration levels get all out of whack, which affects your stomach and affects all kinds of things, and it's <clears throat> totally runnable for like the first section. I just did the 50K, and honestly, Jen Power and I talk about it during her her segment i just realized that there are some serious boulder hops and like full-blown like pulling yourself up rocks and scrambling you know for sections um but i i personally think it adds a extra level of stress not having crew and also going to a place you've never been and so if it just depends i mean the 50 miler distance as hard as it is and afterwards I was destroyed the first one I did I had my wife drive me back to the hotel so it's one of those like you want to practice on similar trail and terrain as your race um but I don't hold you back from something that truly motivates you either because I've I've been there and flown into like a totally new place like a Bandera 100k this year and it was January 6th I think I'd never even been to Texas and didn't train in that humidity level, you know, didn't know that terrain, didn't know much, just went in ignorant and honestly had some really great memories. So it's your call. 50 milers without crew is totally doable. Like I've reached the point personally, I can pretty much do a hundred K on my own. And, um, as long as you're keeping nutrition levels and hydration levels good and not like super exerting yourself. I think if you're going out there to win the 50 miler, you definitely need someone to help you out afterwards. Um, just that drive back would not be safe, but, um, I mean, it's, so I know this is totally long winded, but, you know, I'm not a coach. I'm, you know, just some guy who is passionate about ultra running. I think if it really motivates you, and you really set your focus on it, you can do just about anything. And I'm truly hoping to show the listener that when I go to Moab here in less, I think it's almost two weeks away now, um, just over two weeks away. And you're capable of much more than you might realize. And definitely take your training. I, I think slowing down your training is like my big breakthrough of 2018 and also a lot of it's going to be mental and you're going to want to quit but i mean go back and listen to a lot of these other podcasts i've tried to throw in tips throughout and 
Ellen, you can do it. You can do it if, if you really want it that bad. So train smart, and thanks for the question. I'm joined here by Jen Power. I'm starting a new segment. I want to call this Middle of the Pack Crushers. I, uh, I met Jen a few times, but most recently at the Never Summer 100K. Jen, how have you been? I'm good, thanks. I mean, I get a lot of questions about how I do my training as a parent. So I was I was excited to have you on. Um, you're not only a middle of the pack runner like myself, um, but you're a mother of three. So you're super busy and you you work. You know, what was it? Part time, full time. Yeah, yeah. Part in between part time, full time. Some weeks it can be uh, full time. Some weeks part time. I mean, I think the listener can relate to, you know, not having enough hours to put in and, and that sort of thing. So let's start off, like, when did you start running? Um, I started running, let's see, probably about 2015, 2014. Um, before that, in high school, which was forever ago, uh, I ran in track. We didn't have cross country, but I did track. And, um, yeah, really long break. Yeah. School. After I had my last daughter, I decided to get back into it. So, cool. a couple years now. Yeah, I think I've I've heard that story a few times. Where um, after the childbirth, the the woman's just ready to run for some reason. Um, I know it sounds <laughs> weird. I I probably. I mean, I know like Michelle Barton's always on the show, and I don't think she was a runner before she had her daughter, and then mm-hmm. um, she got the stroller out and. One thing led to another. Um, and so how did you balance that? I mean, three kids is a lot. I, My wife and I are having uh, trouble just taking care of two. So, uh, yeah, so understandable. Um, well, I was pretty lucky because I have um, two older ones. So they were in school, but, you know, we definitely okay. started out with the Bob stroller. And, um, you know, she was pretty light back then, just being a little toddler. She's four now, so it's a little bit harder uh, to push her in the stroller. But we definitely did set, like so many miles in this in the bob. Yeah, yeah. And so, how old are your other two daughters? I have a twenty-year-old and a soon-to-be seventeen-year-old. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so that yeah. that does give you some free babysitting for sure. Definitely, okay. I'm so blessed. <laughs> um, and so. What the heck happened? I pull up your ultra sign up and it goes from like you're doing 10Ks and 15Ks to <laughs> you become an ultra runner like overnight. What the heck happened? Pretty, there has to be a story. Much. So um, I remember the first time I ever did a trail run, I was with a couple of my girlfriends and they convinced me. I think I had just planned on doing a 5K or something and they were like, no, you are definitely doing the 15K with us, nine miles, you got this. So I told them I would do it as long as they stayed with me and didn't leave me. And I instantly fell in love with trails. Um, I did give myself the opportunity to do a road marathon. So I've done one road marathon. It wasn't bad. Um, I just had decided at that point that road was not for me. Uh, I I don't mind doing road miles. Um, You know, I think for myself, the half marathon is the best road uh, distance. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite. I, it's my favorite. But uh, anything other than that, I, you know, tend to get a little bored, and it's kind of redundant. <laughs> yeah. So for that's just for me, though. So. Yeah, I mean, I I know people that use them as training, and then other people that 
refuse to ever do a road marathon or half. So <laughs> yeah. it, it, it just varies. I mean, you went straight into Leona Divide 50K. So I'm assuming you did the marathon, what, in 16? Yeah, I think it was 2016. It was the LA Marathon. Um, okay. And right, I, I think it was maybe a month after that, I had decided that I was trained up for a marathon. So I might as well just like go ahead and switch on over. So nice. I did, and Leona was my first ultra. It was amazing. Um, loved every single second of it. I remember the very end of it was we came down this hill, and it was paved, um, which wasn't bad. It was just all downhill, and I remember flying down and being so happy to be done, but being so just – I was in tears when I finished because I couldn't believe that I had just done that. It was it was the best feeling. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and so did you modify your training at all between sort of your typical marathon training and your 50k training? Or was it uh well because it was the, literally the races, just one month later that you Yeah. You okay. Yeah, because the races were so close together, I had decided that I really didn't need much more. I just did a few trail runs and was ready to go. And I felt great afterwards. I felt like my training was good and and all of that, so and did you did you follow any like typical marathon training plan or did you um, just get um, the miles yeah. in when you could? Yeah. So for my marathon, um, being at my first and I was doing it with a whole bunch of friends um, out in Orange County, we did we did follow a pretty specific training plan um, mm -hmm. as far as weekend runs go. Um, fast forward to now. I don't really follow a training plan. Um, I do believe I'm a big believer in back-to-back -back long runs, um, and you know a lot of people that's on the weekends. For me, I I also try and get it in on the weekends because that's when a lot of people are available to run with. I don't prefer running alone, mm -hmm. um, especially if you've got to do you know a 30-mile trail run that that puts you like 15 miles out in the middle of nowhere, so it's not very safe, you know. Uh, yeah, so, especially in Colorado. I mean, yeah. on mountain lion trail by yourself, like I've done. Yeah. That was smart. Yeah, yeah totally so, agree. I try to get it in on the weekends, but, you know, it, life happens. And if I've got to do a midweek long run, then that's just where I'm at. Nice. And so, I mean, and for the listener's background, I'll probably eventually have all of Jen's friends on at some point. <laughs> Just ironically enough, like I was in Chamonix and met, you know, one of her friends that was doing UTMB, just totally removed, not even knowing who she was. So uh, it's kind of no. funny. Uh, you yeah. go into a 50 miler. I mean, it's in Arizona and you've done more mountainous California 50Ks and you did 50K in Colorado. Um, yeah. Were you confident going after the new distance? Because a lot of. A lot of us middle of the pack runners see that jump from 50k to 50 mile as you know a fairly big one yeah it definitely is um that added 20 miles you know can it can be daunting um so for myself uh the race was in february i had i had moved to colorado i was a little apprehensive about the whole training situation since the majority of my training would be november december january and, you know, it's not California weather in Colorado. So um, I just did the best that I could. I tried to get as many miles. Um, I had the mind frame of time on my feet. It was better than no time at all. Um, and for me, I guess, the switching over to those long distances, 
I felt like it's a frame of mind, really. Um, you know what you can do physically. You train for that. But honestly, when it comes down to finishing uh, a long-distance race, it's where you're at mentally. It's how you prepare mentally. It's how you do mentally during the race, and that, that will put you at the finish line. That's what and, I think. And so, I mean, you did Behind the Rocks 50K. I've done that race. That's that's not your average 50K. That's a fun one. Okay, in, so in about <laughs> about that race, <laughs> I had originally signed up for the 50-miler for okay. that race. Um, I went out there. It was after... Uh, my first 50 miler in Arizona, um, the Antelope Canyon. So then I went out to behind the rocks and I was feeling kind of badass cause I had done really well, um, at Antelope Canyon, I thought. So <laughs> Moab is a completely different beast. Uh, mile 16, I remember looking down like a <laughs> four mile Canyon thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to climb back up this. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, you know, I just, I don't think I was mentally prepared or as physically prepared as I had wanted to be. I dropped to the 50K. I finished uh, right where I would have normally, I think, at a 50K race and felt good about it. How'd you like jumping across those boulders? Where No, like, I did not. It, I did not like it. <laughs> where it falls, it falls off a cliff to your right as you're trying yeah. to go back up. And it there's like people coming down and then you... Didn't you have to like literally leap across? Yes. An like a yes. gap between two boulders that was like. I, I kept thinking my buddy and I were running the race together, and we just kept looking at each other like, "How has no one died on this I, race? This does not seem safe." <laughs> I I totally agree. I mean, especially if you're one of those lead lead runners, it's like flying. There's no, like no room for error. No. Zero room for error. So glad you glad you made it from back from that one um and then you you decided a special race i think you might have even said hi to me during this race and i was totally like just trying to be in the zone if if i can even call it that um 24 hours of palmer lake death race few people have experienced the the amazing race i don't know uh excitement <laughs> signing <laughs> Signing up for this one. This is like a real small local race. Um, it's the best. It's the best. And it's it's like a point eight loop. I, I can't even remember point yeah. eight miles. That's right. And it's like mm -hmm. this little dirt track essentially, and it just goes around Palmer Lake. Um, and it's a timed event, so essentially you get your medal before you even start, as long Which as you great. hit the start line. <laughs> yeah. Logistically, it works. So why'd you sign up for that? And okay, so tell me about I how it went. I wanted so I wanted that race to be what did I I think I had I think I wanted that to be my 100k or I think I was just doing it for training miles maybe. I want I think I wanted to do at least 50 miles. That's what it was. I wanted it was a training run. What month was that? Uh April. April. Okay. So Oh, I know. So in May I think I had signed up for Nanny Goat. 24 hour. So I wanted to experience what a 24 hour race was. It was an inexpensive race, $35. Um, super close. I figured why not? Like I get a taste of what the hourly, you know, what the hour race, you know, timed, um, and a loop race was going to be like. So I did it. The weather was less than desirable. Uh, you remember it was freezing, <laughs> yeah. snow, sleet, rain, all of it. 
Um, but you know, I just tried to have a good frame of mind, get out there, bust my miles out. It's not easy to go out into the mountains and get a 50 mile run in. Like that's kind of crazy Mm -hmm. with, especially when you've got to try and carry water, um, you know, and be prepared for something like that. So I signed up for that race to do that. And, um, gosh, I really liked it. I'm so doing it again this year. I know. Uh, It was a good time. (laughs) As sick as that race was, I, I want to go back. I feel like. I mean, first of all, you left at the perfect time because it got <laughs> freezing cold at night, and I I, I just stopped for like five minutes, and it ended my race, which yeah. I didn't have a crew or anybody there, so making a hypothermia call on your own is not easy to do, um, yeah. but I still think it was the right call after, I think I did, I don't know, like 70 miles or something like that. Um, yeah. So how, I mean... Did it lead into Nanny Goat the way you were hoping? Uh, So, you know, looped races are just not my thing. Um, As fun as they are, I I went into Nanny Goat thinking I was going to get 100 miles out. Um, My girlfriend and I set this goal, and my A game was for sure 100 miles. My B game, just get the most miles you could possibly get. So, uh, you know, about... 62 miles in, I was almost in tears, and I told my friend who was crewing me <laughs> that I was just done. <laughs> yeah. So, it was a good race, though. Nanny Goat is just as good. I loved it. I loved everybody there. Um, just, I just think I would much rather do 62 miles of mountains and, yes. you know, like, different scenery all the time than a one-mile loop. I couldn't agree more. I mean... And so it seemed like you tortured yourself with these these 24-hour loop courses and then you hit Never Summer where, you know, it was, it was nice to chat before the race. Um, it was, I mean, it was relaxing. It, it settled my nerves a little bit just having that small group and we're all just chatting away there. Um, that was a good time. I mean, tell me, how did Never Summer go for you? Because initially I wanted to reach out for just a Never Summer race recap, but then... I'm like, I got to hear more. Like, this ultra <laughs> sign-up page is, is nuts. So <laughs> Thank you. Um, Never Summer So is has been by far my favorite race. Um, I would love to do it again next year if it's in the schedule, like the, if it fits in the schedule. Um, so we got there. I was pretty nervous for it, but I just – I know myself and I know that for me that distance I had trained for it my body was ready for it I had rested enough for it it was just going to be where I was at mentally um, getting through it I had never done anything like 13,000 feet of climbing in one race or even remotely close to that but I knew that my body was physically capable of doing it so I just set out that morning with the frame of mind that this is your adventure, this is your day, whatever God's got planned for you, you're going to do, and you got this. Yeah. So. I mean, that's that's the right mind frame. I mean, that's that's all you can do. I, mean, well, I knew how... it was going to take me. I knew it was going to take me all day anyway. So you know, you just go out and try to enjoy the day. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a hard race. Honestly, I think <laughs> yeah. I've. I got rained on and sleeted on and all kinds of stuff during CCC, and I think Never Summer was harder. Really? Um, yeah, even with 7,000, 6,000 less feet of gain. I mean, if you wow. factor that into the finishing times, I think um, 
yeah, Never Summer was much harder, more technical, and I've never laid down on the side of the trail avoiding lightning strikes. Oh my gosh, I had to crouch under a tree. I had, uh, like, one of those emergency ponchos on, because I didn't bring a rain jacket, but I packed an emergency poncho. It started thundering and lightning, like a big lightning storm as I was coming into my 50K mark, uh, the aid station. Yeah. Um, it started hailing, <laughs> like, so bad. I couldn't believe it. I kept wondering if they were going to cancel the race. You know, I don't think they do that very often. So, you know, I just set back out after the aid station, got you know, got all fixed up and literally hid under a tree while it was... That's a good place to be because you were in the woods, right? So it wasn't yeah, like we you were, were out... Yeah, I was, I was out, you know, right when you drop down, it's like a burnout section that drops into, I think, mile 42 or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just totally open and Oh, exposed. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, oh, my God. <laughs> I was right there all by myself and look around and realize like I was the highest point and then the lightning struck like the side of the mountain I'm sure you you probably saw that because yeah. you were running towards it yeah um yeah that was a life-changing experience but let's go back to how did the first I would say 20 miles go including that that infamous climb up North Diamond so, um, let's see, I'm trying to think, cause you know, it just kind of turns into a blur. I remember when we set out, um, everything was going great. Um, I lost my running buddy about mile 12. So I pretty much ran the rest of the race by myself. Um, going up the first couple of climbs, uh, before mile 12. Great. I, I, uh, I was surprised at how steep they were. <laughs> I know. But... <laughs> that first climb is like never ending. Yeah, but we Seven got up years. there and I, yeah, so I, we got up there and I um, flew down the backside of that, that mountain, which was super fun. Um, by the time we went around the lake uh, and started up North Diamond Peak, I remember looking around, you know, people were behind me and in front of me and we're starting up I knew I knew the climb was going to be major I did not know how major it was going to be everybody else had trekking poles I did not bring trekking poles I'm not used to running with them we get to the basically where the tree line is and it goes straight up that's when the fun starts oh my gosh I I kept thinking like, I don't even know how I'm getting up this. Like it's almost hand over feet climbing. And I just remember putting my head down thinking you aren't even halfway there. Like you got to, you know, this isn't even halfway. So put your head down and put your feet where other people have put their feet and start climbing. So I did that. And I mean, it was a grind. How long is North Diamond Peak? How long of a climb was that? Yeah, it's like 0.8 miles, and it takes even a Claire Gallagher, like, 25 minutes, I want to say. It's it's pretty brutal. I mean, it it hits that same degree of uh, climb as, like, some of the most famous races you'll find. It's just... I don't know. I was climbing, and I saw a giant storm kind of brewing on my left as I was going up and it was me and this one other guy and he's like I hope they don't make us turn around when we get to the top and we have to do this twice and I was just like oh god okay we're climbing we're climbing like I just literally 
It was so gnarly. Yeah. I yeah. so for training for that for that climb, I had gone to uh, Manitou Springs, where the Manitou Incline is, and it is about 0.9, maybe just under that um, of uh, long, and it's 2,000 feet of gain. So I just kept telling myself as I'm going up that you've done this before, you've done repeats on stuff like this, like you've got this. So. How the can, two? How the two compare? That's actually a really interesting comparison. I mean, <laughs> there's no steps on a North Diamond Peak, so <laughs> <laughs> very true. A little true. bit harder. So, how'd you like running the Fat Ridge Line at the top once you've summited and you come around? It's so beautiful. I so mean, beautiful. it got really cold for me, and I thought I was going to get hit by lightning, possibly, because you could hear the electricity. Um, yeah. Was the uh, weather the, okay? And... The storm, I think, had not, I think that it had moved up a little bit, like, because you were in front of me. So as I was climbing, you know, it was obviously stormy, but nothing, you know, no lightning, no hail or anything like that. I remember um, thinking, man, I'm going to get to the top of this and please be like, okay, weather. I got to the top, uh, took in the sights a little bit, got a picture or two and started down and I wish it was a little bit more runnable after it's, that climb. My, it's hard. Yeah, my legs, it's really hard. My, my legs were pretty over it um, going down. And it had gotten very windy, very, yeah. very windy. Uh, going over that ridge, I just remember thinking, like, these the winds have to be 80 miles an hour. I'm just trying not to fall over mm -hmm. at this point. Um, so running, you know, I I shuffled. I ran a little bit when I could, just trying not to fall on my face or fall down. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. That's that's really interesting perspective. And so you you said the um, the lightning and the rain and the poncho came out at the 50k mark. How yeah. did how did that climb go for you? Because um, it's another another big one, and it just keeps going. And then um, I want to hear about crossing the boulder fields too. That wasn't really so bad for me. Um, I feel like after I had done North Diamond Peak, nothing was really that bad. Um, you know, it, I think I was more focused on the weather. My mind had, you know. Uh, it was gone gone elsewhere. Basically, I was past the point of worrying about you know, the terrain really. Mm -hmm. um, I started to get really sick around mile 40 though. My, I started having really bad stomach issues. I ended up uh, being really sick from mile 40 to mile 60. I picked up my pacer at mile 50 and uh, I know she was a little bit, <laughs> basically me throwing up for 10 miles. She was like, seriously, we got to get going here. <laughs> Wow. It, slowed me down. it slowed me down quite a bit for between mile 40 and 60. Um, I ended up running into a few random people here and there who would stay with me. Um, and either I would leave or they would leave. Uh, the Probably my low point of that race was it was when I first started to get sick. I think it was the mile 40 aid station and you have to go up that hill it's that small out and back remember oh. that oh it's only it's only one and a half miles out mm -hmm. that's and what the aid station get, guy told me i was like it was starting to get dark i was oh. starting to get sick and it i was, was and that was a hard climb it was really hard <laughs> it was mentally destructive like it was it, it like yeah. i got to the top and i sat down and i was like i told the guys at the at the check station or whatever. It wasn't an aid station. Yeah, yeah. It, they had a stool 
So I sat down and I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I can get down this now. And then I just thought to myself, you know, it's not that far. I'll get down. There's an aid station down there. They'll fix me up. So I stumbled down through there. It was dark. Um, got to the aid station real sick. Sat down. You know, there were people sitting around me in their emergency blankets trying to warm up. Some were DNFing. Some were not. And, um, I just told him, I'm like, you need to feed me. I have not eaten. I need food, like something, anything. I haven't really, uh, I, I guess, uh, uh, just like figured out exactly what my stomach likes and doesn't like with those distances. Cause I, you know, I'm still new to the distance, but they fed me some broth and, uh, saltines and that seemed to just do wonders for me. I remember looking around at all the sad people like just yeah. hurting as bad as I was. And I just thought to myself, like, I can't sit here. If I sit here, I'm not going to finish. I, this race is not going to finish itself. I got to get up and I got to get out of here. So I what I did. That's wise. I mean, sometimes it becomes like a, I don't know, like a self-help group where like everyone's complaining about how bad their day is. And it can be, yeah. it can really put you in a bad mental space. So a lot of times I'll try to, get in and out of those places and even like grab a handful of food and just keep walking as I'm eating whatever watermelon or whatever's, you know, readily available. And yeah, yeah, stomach issues. I mean, your stomach, if you're exerting too much effort, can't, you're going to divert blood away from your stomach. So you can't digest things. Um, And also if you're dehydrated, if you don't have enough sodium, you can't digest stuff. So a lot of times that chicken broth, um, it saves races for a lot of people. That's for sure. Uh, honestly, to, to be truthfully honest, like, I, I think it really did save my race. I had never sat down and had broth and saltines before. Uh, my body did not want any more tailwind. It did not want, it didn't really, I wanted a meal really. I wanted a cheeseburger or something like some like food, but those are hard to find at aid stations in the middle of the night. Yeah. So, you know, the, it really saved me. I think that's awesome. I mean, and I even mentioned and I even wrote about the the fact that that was like um, one of the best aid station captains I've ever come across. I don't even know who it was, but that guy was awesome. Mm-hmm. So He was. Um, how was the drop down into, what was it, Canadian? Did you mm-hmm. see any? Is that, is that after the burnout? Uh, it is after that aid station that you you just stopped at and it's like six okay. miles. It's mostly down. It's kind of rolling towards the end. Uh, right before you pick up your pacer, you go through like a, a field of cattle and cows <laughs> oh, and there's probably cows in the woods for you. Oh, yeah. So, um, pretty interesting for me, actually. Uh, I, I left the aid station by myself. Uh, you know how there's usually a couple random people that you're passing and they're passing and you kind of going back and forth. Um, so, you know, I would tell them like, oh, we're turning up here and we're following the glow sticks and whatnot. Um, I ended up hooking up with like two other girls. Uh, one of their headlamps had gone out. So we stuck together. Um, we went through the cat, the cow field. So remember seeing the moose? We saw moose like um, early on in the race. Oh, I, I didn't see any moose. Okay. I saw a couple of them. So, wow. 
you know, you, you kind of are just alert to animals, especially at night. Uh, we hear some stomping around, and all I can think of is like, oh my gosh, I'm going to run into a bull moose who's going to attack and kill me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean... Um. So, you know, we're, we're, you know, trucking along and finally we realize they're cows. They run in front of us and pass us. It was really terrifying because we didn't know that they were cows. Um, go up a little bit further and there's this big white, like, animal moving around. Like, what in the world is that? Is that a bear? I don't, e I don't even know. It's a bull like cow with big horns you, and he's coming towards us <laughs> that same bull came at me or it was well, so I, scary. <laughs> I was i was running in a red shirt and i saw one of the cow's heads like lock in on me and mm -hmm. and it tracked me his head was turning none of the other cows were and i was like oh that's a bull and i'm wearing a bright red shirt and it's just watching me and i i didn't know if i could get away so that same bull well, he was coming after this girl and I, like, trotting towards us. It's scary, And right? I jumped off the trail. I'm, like, trying to jump behind fallen trees so that if, you know, I'm just thinking if he does come after me, maybe a tree will stop him or something. Um, it was a good five minutes of panicking. I scratched my legs up pretty good. And finally, he went around us, and we got back on the trail and headed back up. But... Man, I, I, I remember people telling me from, uh, from Orange Mud telling me, hey, you know, be careful of cows. There will be cows. Yeah. But I had completely forgotten by mile, you know, 45. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what was I going to say? I'm, I'm just glad that someone can, uh, you know, back me on the, the bull story because I wasn't oh sure, God. like, am I losing it? Like, this <laughs> this guy's head is definitely tracking me. Like, he's ready to charge at any second. Oh, he looked aggressive. I mean, okay. I was glad I had someone else there. <laughs> and so you pick up your pacer. Um, what was her name again? Brittany. Brittany. Yeah, both, both, of, the, um, both of you guys were truly fun to hang out with. Um, oh, and so she managed to reel you into the finish line. I mean, walk oh, me, I, walk me through the next, the last 15 miles of this race and okay, and so the I, and the famous climb at the end. <laughs> so I roll into mile 50 and pick her up and, um, I was toast. I was like over it by then. My A game had been to qualify for Western States and get, tw you know, in 23 hours at, by the time I got to mile 50, I knew that that probably wasn't going to happen and I really didn't care. I just wanted to finish the race. Um, I saw her and just burst into tears she uh, fed me, sat me down, fed me, put my head back on straight, and we started out. It was a good five miles, I think, to the next aid station. Those five miles flew by. I was so happy to have her to talk to and be with me, and she just was she was a major positive influence in the way I finished this race, thank goodness. But So five miles flew by, kind of rollers, not bad. Muddy, um, muddy rollers. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, except for that. Watch out for the, like, cow pies, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's dark, so you can't see, you know, big mud puddles that you're going through. So navigating through that was a little difficult, but we had a good time. We get into the next aid station. We're trying to make it quick because my time was running out. Um, they told us that the next six miles would uh, be similar to the last five miles, no problem. What? So we started out. It was not even remotely close to that. The next six miles were all uphill. It was, my legs had, my legs could move. They had no climb left in them. So honestly, if it wasn't for her, 
I probably would have just sat down and cried. <laughs> I, so. it, it was steep enough. I sat down and my pacer Dave's like, what the heck are you doing? And I, and he's like, why don't you have a gel while you're sitting on this log or whatever? And I was like, that's exactly what I need. I need more calories because this climb is killing me. Like, mm -hmm. well, just, I was throwing up the whole time. So I you can't know, even I mean, imagine how you were doing it without calories. Um, but yeah, that the very last mile of that climb was just like torture. Yeah, and it's pretty <laughs> wild. Like out of the periphery of my headlamp, I'm just waiting for like a a bear of some sort or something. Yeah, um, you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere on these logging roads or truck roads. Yeah, uh, nothing but woods, nothing but rocky climbing straight up. In the but shadows. Definitely not rollers, not rollers at all. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, they, they say, like, don't take for granted, like, the second half of this race. Like, everyone looks at the course profile and just writes it off. And, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's not a given. And I'm impressed that you kept with it. I mean, so when did things turn around and tell me about that last mile in? So probably um, a mile or two before we got to the two you know there's an aid station two miles it's two miles right before the finish yeah um about a mile or two before then i kept i kept wanting to know my time and Brittany, of course being smart wouldn't tell me my time but i'm smarter so i got my phone out <laughs> checked my time <laughs> and uh i knew i had i had a leeway like not a lot of time but i knew i was gonna finish um, so I think knowing that my attitude had changed, I knew it was gonna. I knew it was hard. Um, I pretty much was at the hardest point of any race I've ever done. But being positive, knowing I was gonna finish, we sailed through the last uh, aid station, the two mile. Like I couldn't even stop. We didn't. Uh, I think we may have like stopped briefly to fill up my water, if that. Um, and then she just kept pushing me the last two miles. It. I hardly remember it because I just remember thinking, I'm doing it. I'm going to finish this amazing race. This entire day, I kept reflecting on what the entire day had brought me and just being so proud. I walked jog. You there. I could, and I shuffled when I wanted to. And yeah, I know the finish line. I. I <laughs> I remember thinking, I can't believe I just did that. Can't believe I just did that. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, so, and you finished with how much time to spare before the cutoff? I think I had about 12 minutes. <laughs> wow. And 12 minutes over the course of a day like that. I mean, just sitting in that chair at mile 48 station with your broth mm -hmm. and, and saltines easily could have taken 10 minutes. Um, it could have. Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely got a lot of experience. With this race, um, I learned a lot of lessons, which I think are going to be super valuable in the next races that I do after. But let's yeah, hear them. Middle of the pack crusher <laughs> lessons learned from Never Summer. Let's hear them. So let's see. You want to hear my race lineup? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I let's see. So the next race I have is going to be, um, I think this November. I'm just going to do a 50k in Moab. Uh, the uh, dead horse. Nice. And then, it's a good one. Uh, yeah, and then I've I'm going to do. I've run it. Justin Ricks puts on good events. 
Yeah, my running buddy just moved to Moab, and he's like, you got to come out here and do a race with me. I have never seen a more beautiful sunrise than I have in Moab, so I'm excited to get back out there and do that. Um, let's see, Black Canyon 100K uh, in February, back in Arizona. Oh, so your, da- your daughter. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that's going to be a party, basically. I mean, I'm excited. There's going to be so, a group of probably 15 kind of training for ultra folks there at least. So yeah, it'll, it'll be my awesome friend Kat, seeing you My guys. friend Kat's going to run it with me. Um, she'll probably finish way before I will, but she's going to do the 100K. My friend Michelle will pace me during that. So it's going to be kind of a girl's trip. So we'll cool. we'll be out there. And Very then cool. um, I volunteered at Leadville this year in hopes of getting extra points to get into Leadville 100 next summer. That's a big one. That's ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Um, Yeah. And so you'll give yourself some time in between Black Canyon to then have some kind of like longer term training block into Leadville in the end of August. Yeah. Yeah. I may do a race in between then. I'll probably do a, I I think I plan on doing the, uh, the 50 miler that Leadville puts on and maybe the marathon. Silver rush. Marathon's hard. Yeah, I heard. Both, both of those are uh, ankle rollers if you're not watching every step. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, any race that starts at 10,200 feet is uh, no joke. It complicates things. So that's, well, I'm pretty lucky. that's cool. I'm pretty lucky that I live close enough to Leadville. Uh, part of my training plan, I plan on uh, signing up with the endurance um, group to get a training plan through them. And then... Um, I'm just going to go camp at Twin Peaks and go do Hope Pass repeats, yeah. just back to back. And I figure if I can do that, the 50 miler and the marathon that they have, I should be okay to hopefully finish that race. Fingers crossed. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm 50 50. I might do Leadman next year. So. Oh my gosh, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm just losing it here. I guess. Um, <laughs> So, lessons learned from Never Summer. What would you have changed? What were you happy with? Um, okay, so... Like, to, to inform the listener, because sometimes you can't relate to that elite runner who only has one gel every six hours, you know, like... <laughs> that is not me. Yeah. <laughs> I am a, a meal person. I need meals. So, I think I probably would have put a lot more substantial... Um, things in my drop bag as far as fuel goes, maybe some sandwiches, and I probably would have had a drop bag at every spot you could have a drop bag at. Not to say that, you know, their aid stations weren't wonderful. They are. Um, but I just feel like I'm a little bit more finicky than probably your average runner as far as food goes. Um, I probably would have had... My feet were good. I don't think I would have packed an extra pair of shoes. I know a lot of people do extra shoes in drop bags, um, but I felt like they were okay. I never changed my socks or anything. The water crossings were a little rough, so, you know, maybe. Maybe yeah. an extra pair of shoes and an extra pair of socks. Yeah, uh, it's a hard I'll... balance because sometimes you take that sock off and it's like, oh, boy, like what did we just you know, open Pandora's box here? Like, we only have 15 miles to go. Maybe that was a really bad idea. Yeah. So, it just depends. leaving it alone. For me, leaving it alone, (laughs) just not thinking about it, unless, you know, there's some, like, some serious pain going on down there. But I never – I have yet to experience that. I think I've got my shoes and socks situation dialed in. Um, 
I probably would have packed rain pants and a yeah. raincoat. Uh, I didn't have any of those. I just had an emergency poncho. It worked well enough for me, but I think rain pants and a raincoat probably would have helped speed things along for me. Yeah, um, for sure. I was freezing and I had my North Face coat on, like a, a yeah. rain jacket that's actually the same one I used at CCC. Like it's pretty hardcore jacket. So I yeah. can't believe you didn't have a coat. That's like, oh. Well, I mean, I had a warm a... coat. I had a warm coat. I did not have a rain coat. Okay. Like, I was I was fine. I had gloves. Um, hand warmers are the biggest lifesaver that I have learned, you know, over my ultras. Just slide those puppies into your gloves. Yeah. Um, they saved my life at Palmer Lake. They saved my life at Antelope Canyon. And, you know, again, at Never Summer, I, I won't ever run a, a cold race without them again so don't leave those in your drop bag for a few days <laughs> that that can really that can make that wet pair of socks uh extra oh, special yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what else what else any other little tips or lessons learned oh man um you know just i think that's really about it just make sure that i've got everything that i want just relying on myself and, you know, obviously my pacer, my pacer was unbelievable, thank goodness. But, you yeah. know, just not, you can't rely on those aid stations because you don't really know what's going to happen, what your day is going to hold, what you're going to need. So, and, you know, they've got, they've got the, usually the watermelon, the oranges, they run out. I've worked at aid stations where, you know, totally. up at Leadville, I'm like, you guys, I'm so sorry, we have no watermelon. It's the last thing you want to tell a runner coming through, <laughs> but... It happens. So, well, that's awesome. I look forward to um, you know seeing what's in store next year, and I'm I'm sure we'll see each other out at a race at some point. So, thank you yeah. for taking all the time to share your running background, and hopefully the listener likes this new segment. You know, email me trainingforultra at gmail dot com and let me know if you like middle of the pack crusher insights here. Um, I like I like ultra running stories regardless. I find inspiration in in just about you know all all levels of performance. And Jen's finish at Never Summer really showed some serious mental resilience there. So well done, congrats, and Thank thanks you. for joining me. Absolutely, thanks for having me, Rob. And that's episode 60. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Kyle and Jen for sharing their experiences. Truly enjoyed that. And thank you to the sponsors, Hammer Nutrition, Sufferfest Beer, and Destination Trail. Also, a big thank you to the Patreon supporters. Couldn't do it without you. We are slowly building here. Get ready. There could be a Training for Ultra Challenge coming up here soon. Stay tuned on Strava, and uh, Patreon will also have one. So don't forget to enjoy your training. Talk to you guys next week. See ya.